Hey, Legends, massive episode for you today. We have the former number one draft pick, Tom Boyd. It's been very well heralded, his career. We get some of the details and facts on his actual career today, particularly moments around when he left GWS and how a meeting with the Bulldogs enabled him to walk into a seven million seven-year deal, which was absolutely massive at the time, if you remember. We talk about winning the premiership with the Bulldogs and the real reason why he actually left the AFL which was super interesting. This was an incredible chat with a wonderful person, an incredible athlete. Um, definitely one to tune into. He's doing some incredible things now in the corporate world and the mental health space. I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, another episode of the Unlaced podcast. As I always say, if you are new here, thank you for turning up. And if you've come back again, I absolutely love you. We've had a belter of a start to the year. There's so many episodes we've done that I, I didn't think we'd get guests on like uh, film directors. Um, we've also had the uh, exposure to Summer Jam and working with Foot Locker, which was absolutely awesome. Go back and check check out some of those episodes. We even had arguably the biggest player in the A-League, Tolgay Arslan, on the first episode of the year, which was a massive coup. And uh, this episode today is, is probably right in the sweet spot of where the podcast started. But um, it actually, we've been trying to do this. We actually had it booked in probably six to six to eight months ago, maybe. And I woke up on the morning and I was sick as a dog and I had to let this man know I couldn't actually turn up. So um, finally, we've got our schedules aligned and we're, we're here with uh, former Western Bulldog Premiership player and um, former number one draft pick, Tom Boyd, mate. It's a pleasure to have you finally on the show. Six to eight months and six to eight attempts to try to lock it in. <laughs> I know. Because I was getting a bit pestery. <laughs> no, it's, it's hard. Like LinkedIn is um, – it's a very strange place to communicate because – there are some pests on yeah, the old LinkedIn, um, but uh, great to be here. I do, uh, I do love um, former athletes, you know, making their way in the the business world, but also, you know, doing their own thing. I think that so many of the guys that I've played footy with feel like once they finish sport, it's like that's it, that's yeah. the end of the fun stuff, that's the end of me being, you know, quote unquote special in some way, shape, or form. Mm. I'm going to join the bottom of the corporate ladder and try and work my way up, which I, I don't think makes any sense to me. It's sort of the the ability to translate what you did playing sport at a professional level is the great challenge I think that athletes find. So it's great to be here. Mate, I, I appreciate that. But also uh, I think do you have you found that your transition, although maybe tough from not, you know, picking up a footy and kicking again, you've you've had you're advanced in other areas that when you walk into the business world, you've actually got quite a few skill sets that either you didn't know you had or you've realized once you've gone into it. Yeah, I think mine is a little different. So I decided to leave, which is a, a big difference to most players. And I also left in the midst of a really big contract that I decided to um, give back a couple of million bucks worth of to, to get out, essentially, which is a different story to most. But I, I had a strong level of confidence that I had things that were there to offer. I think the thing, as I sort of said, that really athletes struggle to do is how do you package it up with something that makes the business world go, I'm willing to take a bit of a chance? Because mm-hmm. it's not like... You know, you're not a direct trend. You, know, you can't be a direct competitor to those who are trying to get the same role as you. It's just not the same thing. When you come up against someone, whether it be in technology or professional service or any of the number sort of more corporate gigs, you don't have the experience of your peers and counterparts, but they also don't have the same experiences as you. And I found that, you know, what I needed was just some version of a degree that people were like, oh, that makes sense. He, yeah. fin- he finished something. <laughs> yeah. 
which was a business degree that didn't teach me a whole heap, to oh, be honest Oh, I've got the same fucking same thing, mate. <laughs> I've just finished off paying a hex debt like a couple of years ago. I'm yeah. like, I don't know if I needed to do that. Like, yeah, I can't say I had an issue with hex debt. I sort of just uh, paid yeah, it all up Yeah, front. AFL, yeah. They, they love it. <laughs> they love Not it. just AFL. <laughs> AFL and, you know, very uh, overpaid players such as yeah. myself. But having what said What was that, your contract, actually? I know it's been exposed, so you can probably, it's probably oh, public Exposed. My manager leaked it like two days <laughs> after. It was, he leaked went. it before I signed it. What was um, it? It was like- It was seven years, seven mil. So- That's right. I yeah. remember just thinking this guy's like 18, 19. I was still 18. I was in Indonesia um, <laughs> and uh, it was the second biggest deal at that time, I think, behind Buddy, um, which my manager also did the year before. So good on you, Liam. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it was, a, it was a big it was a big contract and it was also, um, you know, a very strange moment in time, I think, for a lot of people when I left because to, yeah. you know, to give up lots of money is strange to people. Give up the AFL dream is strange to people, particularly because I'd had you know, such high levels of success, even though, you know, personally had some challenges, but to play in a grand final at 21, play a really good game, number one pick, um, big contract. People don't walk away from that stuff. But, you know, from my perspective, it was about, you know, how do I choose what I want to do for the rest of my life? Because most people don't. Uh, And footballers and athletes all together, they get to the end of their careers when they're told to. And it's the moment where someone probably for the first time says, you're not good enough. Mm. You're not worth my time anymore. You're not mm. worth – like the value that you've given is not it's not apparent and that's horrible to go Sucks. through. Um, so I didn't want to get to that stage, um, you know, because I wanted to try and create value elsewhere. And then you asked, you know, did I find that I had strength sets that, you know, were evident in the corporate sector? Bloody oath. Like, mm. mate, most, most people you come up <laughs> against, they've never been told no before. They've yeah. never been told you're not – good at this can you get better like yeah. no one's ever been given feedback no one's about been ever shat on at half time in front of 40 oh. other blokes like no tomorrow yeah let alone 100,000 people <laughs> yeah. like, it's just it's, it's, so it's just crazy um yeah. and, and you know I, I went through so many times when um I have a great relationship with the CEO of our business um and I have to have these conversations with him saying you know I have I'm holding back with these people because they'll get upset yeah. um, or, you know, you have a conversation with with other players who are leaving the game. You're like, mate, you don't have to do that stuff they're asking you to do. And like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, you have to stand up for yourself at some point. And maybe it's, you know, a lack of humility or humbleness that, that I have. And I certainly hope that's not the case, but I've just always had this sense that, you know, we've got something to give the world. Why yeah. are we spending our time? You know, fetching coffee for people. Yeah, I don't disagree. Do you know what, Chuck? There's a lot to unpack and just that, just to magnify seven years, seven mil at 18 in the AFL as well. I mean, that is enormous in any field of sport, but AFL, there's sort of a, a ceiling on earnings. That back then- I mean, that's monster now when we, we're in 2024. That's that's, that's yeah. a massive deal for an 18 Much more common now than what it was then. Yeah, um, Definitely. You know, I think that if you look at any of the young players who are signing extended contracts, of which there was like seven or eight last year that I can sort of think about, that million-dollar-a-year mark is pretty common. Mm. Um, and I'm not saying common in the breadth of the AFL players and the 1,000 guys who are on the list, but in terms of where I was at in my career, the fact they wanted to retain me for a long period of time, it was super abnormal then, but it is more common now. Um, yeah. And look, I think the other thing was that what it really marked was the fact that I left the Giants after 12 months. Yeah. And as a number one pick, as like, you know, one of the big sort of future hopes for the club is just crazy to do that. And I, you know, I was contracted, you know, we pulled every, you know, trick out of that the, the, <laughs> in the book to get out of there and yeah. abused them and said, we I hated the place. I was yeah. going to leave anyway. And, Look, it all it's all leverage, right? And I had none. 
So I had to use the court of public opinion and my manager was essentially the catalyst behind that and did a great job of getting me out of there. But I don't think, you know, supporters of other clubs who are sitting there going, well, hang on a minute, we just invested a number five pick in the bloke who just signed <laughs> up and this idiot just told him that he could leave after oh, 11 months. No. Like that didn't sit well with people. So yeah, I, can imagine. I, I had plenty of critics. I'm sure I still do, but um, it's all part of it. Well, there's a lot to unpack because obviously there's a, I want to go into the why and understand because what I think you did to, to leave AFL and a lot of the terms that you did, um, you know, despite going through your own um, – or navigating your own path with challenges as such. It's, it, it was a courageous decision, no doubt. And that's what that's what I want to get into a little bit today. But one thing that shocked me coming here today, as I checked, I'm like, you're still only 28. Mm-hmm. I was like, it feels like you're older because you've your name's been around for so long and you did so much at such a young age that, I mean, do, do you kind of even, you've, you've kind of got a lot of experience on people at your age and development. I mean, have you realized that being, you know, going in the system, coming out in the manner that you did, having your name, you know, on the front of the paper, on the back of the paper associated with good, bad and indifferent, mm-hmm. is that sort of toughened you up? Was that difficult as well? Yeah, I find it, you know, in many ways, I think I've probably lived a few lifetimes in, in 10 years since <laughs> yeah. I left school. Seriously. Um Look, I think on the tough part, like I think about this all the time and and unfortunately the reality of life is that the sort of scars that you pick up along the way and the way that you can utilise them to combat the future challenges that you have, you wish you had them when Mm. you were getting the scars. Uh, Like I think about all the time some of the conversations that I was put through with coaches and players and, you know, whoever else, whether that be in the media or otherwise, and the inability that I had at that stage to say, you know, fuck off and leave me alone. (laughs) Well, I disagree for starters, right? Like Mm. I never disagree with – it was really hard to because you were in this position where, you know, there was such this uh, onerous ownership that you had over the fact that people are sitting there going, you're getting paid all this money, you need to do what we want you to do. Mm. When regardless of what you're getting paid, you're still the, you know – you should still be the master of your own destiny. And, and unfortunately, when you're 18 to 23, which is the span of my AFL career, you're not. You don't yeah. feel comfortable or confident to do so. So, you know, I certainly feel that um, I have a pretty thick skin nowadays. I, I don't tend to um, have the patience that I used to for, you know, people putting me in positions <laughs> that I don't like. And, mm. you know, even recently having conversations um you know, with the different work that I do sort of across the three facets of my um, working life, if you will, Mm. just basically prefacing, you know, conversations about performance or even remuneration or whatever you're going through to be just like, guys, I've been through worse before. So (laughs) like, can we skip to the part where we get to the answer? (laughs) Because it's just not, it's just not something that I'm willing to go through again. Like you you do when you're playing sport and you feel like you're, you know, the little person in the room. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, let's go. Let's go on to the bit of the now. But first, like, how are you? How is life treating you now? Yeah, oh, it's, you know, you think you're busy when you're playing footy. You know, <laughs> you, you, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't. You know, I, I by the end, I was pretty busy. You know, I was doing full time university, um, night school, six till nine pm, three nights a week. You know, assessments and all that sort of stuff. Doing all the work for my other teammates, Jack McCray and Zane Cordy, who never did anything. No <laughs> offense, boys. You know the truth. Um, but yeah, it's just so different. It's so different to the the way that football, or at least in my experience, it was was it might have been thirty five hours a week of one hundred and ten percent. Yeah, but a lot of the other time is you know, whilst it is time consuming, 
you're not really doing much. It's a lot of downtime. A lot man. of downtime. A yeah, lot of recovery. A lot of travel. A lot of sitting around waiting for stuff. Like, if I have one criticism, um, of which I'm sure I have a few, but if I have one particular criticism <laughs> of the scheduling at the AFL level, it's just the waste of time that mm. they have there. Mm. Instead of being like, let's get you in and out in the minimum amount of time, there's always this fat in the schedule. They're like, oh, you can rest here. I'm like, I don't need to rest. I want to go home. Yeah. <laughs> um, but nowadays, you know, nowadays I'm trying to basically juggle, um, you know, the the speaking work that I do, which, you know, I did over a hundred events last year. Is this, is that your own like business as yeah, such? Yeah, that's all me. So that's um, just an individual. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's all purely just me doing the speaking. Um, it comes through a various streams. Um, yep. But yeah, it's, it's essentially just me. And what are you just to clarify for the listeners at home? Because I, I obviously have seen some stuff you're doing in, in some of the talks, but what exactly are you covering in those talks? What's sort of, what's attracting for people outside of having a, a superstar AFL player come in? What's the sort of topics that you're going through to, to help? Because it's it's not just like athletes and teams, it's corporate, um, yeah. like corporate teams as well. Yeah. My story is, um, you know, in many ways, one of the most unique ones, but in many, in so many other ways, it's exactly the same as what so many people go through, which is essentially the story of, um, I want to do good things and I want to yeah. do great things and I want to work my butt off and get somewhere, but also what costs is that taking and what are you ignoring along the way um, yeah. that eventually you can't ignore forever. So, again, my, my story is, you know, one of someone who struggled with, you know, a lot of sleep issues, a lot of issues with anxiety and depression, mm. particularly in the height of sort of my 20, 20 to 22 mm. era, I would say. Um, which for most most people sounds really young, but it's probably more relative, I suppose, to say the twenty five to forty year old in the corporate sector because things happen really fast in sport. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's also wrapped up in some great stories from footy. It's wrapped up in some really sort of applicable stuff, at least from my perspective, and certainly the sort of the testimonials and reviews that I've got from the sessions that I've done around, you know, what are the pitfalls that you have along the way? How do you identify this stuff early enough that you can do something about it? And, you know, what's the excuse that I'm currently using to not get help from anyone? And I'm look, I'm not saying go and see a psych. I'm not saying a lot of the different things that I've done have worked. But my number one thing that I fell into was not getting help from anyone. Like I didn't yeah. talk to my friends and talk to my dad and talk to my mum, family, anyone. So it's more around how do you, you know, identify stuff and, and do something about it. And at the end of the day, you know, how do communities and clubs and sporting teams make the best of this? How do they yeah. support each other? Because it's bloody hard and so much of it out there and so many questions um, and so many of the answers I think are go see the medical professionals, which I'm a massive advocate for but they're not always there and they're not always affordable and they're not always available. So how do you try and create a community that can support each other through this stuff? So that's the speaking side of things. I'm an ambassador for a few big organisations, Lifeline being um, one of them, Um, first national ambassador for them over the last couple of years, which has been amazing. And just given the work that they do, um, right up my alley. I'm also an ambassador for WorkSafe, so the the safety regulator here in Victoria. Um, I do all their country club footy games, so essentially going out engaging with the country footy and, uh, and netball communities. These important communities to connect with on, on yeah. stuff like this. Yeah, totally. I mean, the football and netball clubs the last bastion of support that they have, oh, right? The church on. is not what it used to be. Um, you know, people are moving out of these towns, but they still come to the footy and the netball. So mm-hmm. we do some some really great work out there that I do love. Um, and, it, yeah, it's just some of the most enjoyable stuff I get to do. 
And then the Western Bulldogs Community Foundation. Um, so I mentioned before the glowing sort of makeup. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to throw you under the bus. Oh, no, he's <laughs> um, wearing makeup now for yeah, everyone at home. <laughs> I, I knew I had this on, so I thought I'd leave it on. For Not the, that that's a problem. No, but no. <laughs> morning TV. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it was, uh, I turned up and they, you know, dragged me into the, um, the makeup room. <laughs> oh, I swear I didn't knock the door down. Um, but yeah, sort of my stuff with the Western Bulldogs Community Foundation, um, in particular the Sons of the West program. So 10 years they're celebrating at the moment, which is why I've got makeup on. So, um, uh, speaking of, I, I reckon you'd be, although a number one draft pick, I reckon you'd be in the top five number one draft picks of like best looking blokes. Thanks. Mate, you're like you're six foot, six foot what? Seven. Six foot seven. Are you Danish? You got yes, Danish. Yeah, Danish. That's Danish people, mate. They're good looking. Used to be better looking. <laughs> got to lose a few kilos. Ah, uh, you still got it. But, yeah, mate. But, you're yeah. a rooster. Um, no, I appreciate. It. It's very kind of you. Thank you. And maybe the makeup is making. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe it's working. There you um, go. But no, it's and with that stuff, uh, and then juggling. You know, we've got a young daughter at home and a wife and a dog and a family and stuff to look after as well. So, uh, how's the like? Uh, what's interesting, right? Because people would naturally think playing on the MCG, winning a flag, is an enormous high, and no doubt it is. But are you getting like a different sensation or a better sensation in the stream of life you're in now? Like, I guess a lot of giving back, family man, obviously a dad, which yep. is pretty crazy. Yeah, I would say, um, you know, I talk to people a lot about. Uh, you know, they ask me the question, how are you going now? Like, it's the most common question I probably mm. get. How's your mental health now? And, and look, some people I think project this, you know, it's this ongoing battle and struggle every, every single day with their mental health. And mm. I'm very empathetic towards that. My experiences are that I had a really acute three or four year stretch with it. A lot of it based on, as I said before, my inability to get support, life circumstances being insane and incredibly stressful, a young minded, a young man trying to work it all out. Um, it's not something I deal with every single day, but I think a large component of that is the fact that uh, when you're playing footy or when you're doing a job, let's say it was a more broad term, that is one, incredibly stressful, two, perhaps not exactly what you want to be doing, and three, maybe doesn't quite fit with your morals and values around how you engage with the world, Um, it's really hard to feel good about yourself. Like it it sounds simple, but most people don't consider that. And I understand that it's a very good position to be in, to play sport and have the choice, and I get all of that. Mm. I'm not here telling you I've had a rough life compared to some. Yeah. But having said that, you know, I worked bloody hard like you did, I'm sure, and like mm. many people do to get out and have that opportunity. And to find out after wanting to play footy all your whole life that it maybe wasn't for you, <laughs> even though there's some really good stuff, it's hard to admit I to yourself. I feel like, mate. You've put a lot, of, co- you're a lot of chips on the table at this stage. Uh, yeah. Right? <laughs> so um, yeah. it's a long-winded answer of saying, now that I'm doing stuff that I know I want to do and actually chose to do, and again, very lucky to be able to choose what I wanted to do, even though, as I said before, it always takes hard work, luck mm. and, and effort. Um, I don't have that same you know, angst in my life of like, oh, why am I getting up to do this every day? Mm. Um, and so finding the balance between the ambassadorships and the speaking stuff and then working for Ever Perform as well, um, which we mentioned before the show started, and also getting to be a father. It, it is an extraordinarily busy existence, but it's also the existence that I woke up and chose every single day to do, which means yeah. that the onus is on me to make the best of it. And it's yeah. not this ongoing fight with, you know, an identity crisis like I was having when I was playing sport. Mate, it's crazy to hear you talk about it now because you speak about it with um, such conviction and confidence and no doubt a, a big part of – got to plug thousands you. Thousands of hours of – Yeah, we got to plug – yeah, well, thousands, <laughs> but also you, you're, you're speaking, your public speaking is um, 
a skill that you, I don't know if you've always had it or you've had to develop it, but for those out there that uh, plug, plug your work, because there's yeah. definitely people that could benefit from, you know, having you come into their environments to, to share, you know, um, totally. some of the yeah, diamonds I, that I don't doing. think I was always great at it, but you know, it's one of those things that, you know, I was really good at English at school. Um, you know, good enough to write a book that came out. This is the shameless plug that you did. <laughs> did that, you got a book? Yeah, nowhere to hide. It came out in August nope. 22. Um, so if you're want, wanting to hear about the actual story or read is that about still it. still on sale? Oh, my, probably. Well, well, no, we'll, you probably find it in yeah, some bookstores. Well, we'll, if there's a link, we'll plug it in the description. Yeah, it's all over. There's plenty of copies out there. Um, You know, it didn't sell out. <laughs> <laughs> it, did, yeah, it did really well, but, you know, it's sort of one of those things where um, if you actually want to get sort of the full picture, it's always good to read. Yeah, too. absolutely. Um. And, you know, I think I remember preparing for my first ever speaking gig and, and to, you know, the funny thing with it is that I didn't say leave footing, I'm going to become um, Tony Robbins. Like, yeah. That was never a thought. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so what happened was that after, so I retired in May and I started to get people asking me, they're like, oh, can you come and speak to our school? And I'm like, oh. for free? And they're like, no, we'll pay you. I'm like, you'll pay me to yeah, talk. This sounds great. Um, and I remember the first one I did was at a place called um, Westbourne Grammar School, which is in Werribee. Right. I think that's right. And I was sitting in the car. And I'd spent two weeks writing this speech, mate. It was <laughs> perfect. It's like 4,000 words. I reckon I'd practiced it 30 times and I nailed it. Didn't need any notes. Like had the script, but didn't need it. And I hate reading and talking. Like yeah. it makes me really frustrated when people do it because I'm yeah. like, you're not talking to you're me. Not prepared. Well, you are prepared, but you're not talking to me. Yeah. Like, yeah. how? Do, what if I? What if something changes in yeah. the room? How are you going to change? Because yeah. you've just got a script. So I, I wanted to do it without the script. It's always been my sort of style. And I get there, I'm sitting in the car, and I'm like. I can't remember the first paragraph. Like I'm so nervous ah. and I'm stressing. And again, I didn't make any sense because I was not nervous to do this stuff. And I always did media and it was fine. I literally thought about calling my manager and cancelling the session. I mean, like, I can't do this. It's not worth it. Uh-huh. Anyway, so I got in there, you know, as you do a few <clears throat> times in your life, just throw yourself to the wolves. Yeah. Did 30 minutes, 25 minutes with no notes. Completely different to what I'd written up. But I had enough hooks for my memory about what I'd done. That's and good. I was like- Right, I'm never using notes ever again. Yeah. So that's why I think um, you know the difference between me speaking on a podcast versus me speaking in person, other than the fact it's longer form, is relatively the same muscle um, from my perspective. And you know, I still love doing it. I love meeting new people, and you know, still manage to enjoy it even after doing a hundred of them last year. So, well, I love that. Well, before we get into the footy journey, which I know everyone at home will want to go through um, in some detail, when did you find your thought patterns started to shift like post AFL. You obviously done so much work probably in the system and outside the system, but when did you find that you were on a path where you could actually not only advise, but you were working at your sort of highest frequency and happiness as as such? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I remember um, straight after finishing footy, we, so I retired, I think on a Tuesday or something. Sometime during the middle of the week, it sort of all happened. Was it mid-season? Or was it post? Yeah, it was, yeah, I was like really early in the year, so it was about yeah. round five or six so far. Right. Yeah, um, and like my back was rooted. It was just stuffed. Like I, it, again, I so I had surgery on it. What is it now? Three sort of three or four months ago, um, and it's an issue I had since I was fourteen or fifteen. Just got worse and sort of in like football growing or just like just oh, I mean, genetics? I was doing. 14 sessions of sport a week. That probably yeah. has. Um, yeah, we can and, relate. Yeah. yeah, and my mum, you know, my mum had a similar issue as well. And then, you know, the thing about football, and this is not a criticism of the dogs or anyone, this is just the nature of professional sport, is people go, 
you got the best medical support in the world. I'm like, yeah, but they don't care. Like yeah. they don't, they don't, they're not caring about fixing you. They're caring about getting you to play. On Saturday. So yeah. it's completely different sort of calculus on how to improve. So a back injury like mine, they're not going to go in and I'm not saying I needed surgery then, but they're not going to go, we'll give you surgery because that's the whole year. It's mm. gone. They've invested a million bucks a year into me. That's yeah. a big asset that they've got sitting on the sidelines. So, um, I, I found that sitting sort of out after that um, that retirement, I'm sitting there. I think the dogs were getting smashed by, I want to say Frio or someone over there, and I'm sitting there having a beer watching the game going, heck, it's this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Suck it, boys. <laughs> the review's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, And, yeah. of course, I wanted them to win, but I'm sitting there going, I know how bad Monday's going to be. Yeah, just, just, and it was such a vivid memory. And the then flight back. literally three or four days after that, I'm like getting up in the morning, I'm like, what am I doing with my life? Because and this is only ten days post, but I was so used to routine, told where to do, and like this is what I think told what to do, not where to do. Um, and I think this is the thing that people don't understand. In many ways, footballers and athletes grow up really fast. Like we get access and exposed to so many things really quickly. Buy a house, you know, get a car, travel, um, put under pressure, feedback. The stuff we spoke about before. A lot of development happens in a very short period of time. Correct. The other thing that happens is we're all a bunch of kids because yeah. from the age of five to the age of 23 when I retired, what to do, where to be, what to do whilst I was there, it's all the exact same. It's why it's why actually a lot of people um, go off the rails post-footy but in particular because the pretty much what you said, you're so used to being in an elite position but being at a place on a certain time being told what to do. If you're not there, you get fined. You got to perform. You go out and play in the MCNG in front of 50, 60,000 people. It's pretty hard to find that anywhere else outside of that same sort of. Yeah. And and there's so little autonomy in your own decision making that mm. that like anxiety that I felt post footy was so much about who's, no one's telling me what to do. This is on me now. Yeah. And that, in, on, in all honesty, like I think one of the, I think the mistakes that people make this day with the mental health side of things is, they go, that's a bad feeling. Like That feeling was the reason why instead of lying on the couch, I decided to start doing all of the stuff that I'm doing now because right. I knew that I didn't want to sit there any longer and pretend like I was in this like, you know, midlife crisis at 23. <laughs> so one of the first things that I did was essentially for, and again, I understand the, the financial luck that I, or you know, um, I don't like the word privilege much, but I had the financial ability to basically take a bit of time or you weren't it, right? Like yeah. Whether, no, no matter what people say, they weren't there when you were training and doing all the stuff. Yeah, they weren't doing. there through the contract through negotiations. The <laughs> through the back surgeries as well, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, exactly. So, um, and I, so I didn't dive straight into a career because I didn't, again, we spoke about this earlier, I didn't want to go back to the start because I didn't think I should. And again, maybe it's just like lack of humbleness, but I was like, I'm not going back to work with the lackeys that, no, that's fucking- you know, who've just come out of school. There's no way. I've got too much experience and too much to offer. Agreed. So um, I decided to essentially just volunteer my time in all these different places. And um, over the course of uh, 2019, when I retired to the back half of there, I went back to play community footy at my local club, you know, met people there. Then I started sort of working with uh, the St. Kevin's guys at um, the Ammos and played footy there in 2020 and 21, but obviously season's heavily compromised with COVID. But essentially it was like meet as many people as I could. And towards the end of 2019, I'd built up this book of work from a speaking point of view for the next year. It was like, it might've been like 30 or 40 engagements locked in. I'm like, great. This is awesome. 2020 is going to be fine. And I've got this old man who's like one of the most conservative and, you know, 
when I was younger, scary people I've ever met. And he was sitting there going, Tom, you just retired. We need to do a budget and we need to work out what you're going to do with yourself. <laughs> and by the time I had 40 gigs locked in, he's like, oh, this is looking. Tom's actually not an idiot. He's doing he had something, something, right? Then COVID happens. So I do one engagement in the start of 2020 in Kimber, which is past the Augusta Peninsula in the middle of nowhere, just Jesus. before the Nullarbor, right? right? This is as far away from civilization I've ever met. <laughs> Great people. There's only 700 of them in the greater Kimber area, oh, right? right? Basically the desert. And I do that engagement. I get back every gig for the whole year is cancelled in two days. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Oh, no. Again, that feeling sets in of, holy shit, what's going on? Uh, and that's when I first wrote the book. So I wrote that myself um, and did a, like a basically a run version that I liked. Um and basically spent all my time just pouring that out because I was like, I, I don't think I'm quite done with that stuff um, and I'm not quite done with that period of time in my life. And so, again, very long-winded answer of saying it took me a couple of years to get on my feet mainly because there was a pandemic in the middle of it that mm. completely disrupted the workflow that I had but also reminded me more than anything that I needed one with the book side of things to deal with the past properly and go, which no one ever gets a chance to do, right, because we just keep you know, boring on through life. But then two, I missed the team side of things. I really missed it um, post-footy and then going into the speaking side of things, which is so amazing because you meet a million people, but you're a yeah, you're a one-man band. You're Correct. by yourself and it's really lonely. So that's when I started working with Everperform. Um, so I've been working there for a few years now. Uh, and we sort of, as I said to you earlier, it's sort of like champion data for the workplace. Um, we work with the accounting sort of chartered accountants. It's it's an amazing thing that I've been able to be a part of. But then now with that complexion, I'm like, I'm on top of things. I get yeah. everything that I need, can bring value in all parts of my life, um, even though the the vehicles are different, sort of the direction I'm going in the same. Was, were, you, um, were you sort of susceptible to, like everyone, right? But lockdown was a freaking tough period. But for you, you've just come out of a AFL career. Within 12 months, you've been sort of, kept at home. I know this is a little bit off script, but it just might come to my attention then. Were you in a space to be able to cope with that? Because obviously you've channeled that and wrote a book, which is fantastic. So mm. you probably got the best out of it. But that that, that tested a lot of people's mental health yeah, um, oh, through that period. Totally. It was crazy. It was like, in, especially in Victoria. Right, it just kept going. I was, like, <laughs> I was talking to my mum about this the other day. Like, you know, it, it just kept going and oh, going and There going. was one moment where I thought I threw the toys out the cot when they did like a – we had a few, and then they've gone another eight week or somewhere, and I was just like, oh, "Holy!" Twenty twenty one. Yeah, that was going to into twenty twenty one or something. I think oh, maybe it was twenty twenty. I had my uh, I can't remember what birthday it was. Anyway, we, my so we were down in the coast, so we were in Anglesey, so we were looking after Anna's old Anna's old man, and her, her family, so my wife, and um, <laughs> and we were going out for like my birthday lunch, and we hadn't done anything two years. <laughs> And we were going to South by Southwest, which is a massive brewery that they built down in Torquay. And it, it was a one o'clock booking and 11.35. Oh, no. They said, it's all over, boys. Stay <laughs> home. And I'm like, Lock the doors. Huh? Lock the doors. An hour and a half. Like, oh, we got within an hour and 25 minutes. <laughs> oh, you didn't even get a beer in. Fuck no, me. we just didn't even get to leave the house. And it was like, you've got 11 minutes to be oh, back in bed, you know. Um, so that, that whole period was, it was wild. But, you know, and in a way- as you said, so I, I think, you know, the initial stages, I, my stages of the COVID component was first two weeks, like, this is awesome. Don't have to do anything. Like, just <laughs> yeah, sit at yeah, home. Yeah, Everyone's yeah. watching the TV. It's like it's it was sort of like you know, it was like a novelty. <laughs> yeah, right. right. Then two weeks passed and I'm like, oh, this is going to stay. Yeah. I probably should do some work. <laughs> and all yeah. my work had disappeared. So then that, that sort of 
it was a frustrating month, I'd say. And then some of the stuff started coming back. So we're doing some online stuff, which I hated. And even today, like speaking online is can be really good, mm. but it's so different to doing yeah. it in person. That's why I don't I try we try not to do podcasts online. Yeah. It's just yeah. it's not the same vibe. Nah, now nah, we do. So I do a podcast with um, Danny McGinley, a comedian, sort of focusing on the dogs and the footy mm-hmm. and stuff. And we, we do, we have to do ours in person, basically. And we were talking about it just before. Um, and then sometimes we'll do like our Patreon episode online if we have to, just so we can, you know, not have to travel. And it functions, it functions, it's, it's easy to do. It functions well. Do. But for yeah. me, with a guest, the way, like, the way I am, like, I love connecting in person. Yeah, it's so different. I mean, the speed of it is the issue, wow. right? It's yeah, just the, correct. It's just the latency with the mm. the virtual platforms. And then um, sort of we – then I went through the book writing stage and then we ended up down the coast. And I think what I found was that once I started to not so much focus on myself as much and sort of I knew I had a lot of mates who were back here and are really struggling and just trying to connect with them and keep people on the sort of you know, mental straight and narrow around what was going on and mm. see how they were traveling, make sure that they had something in their life that was keeping them sane. Um, that seemed to help a lot. Uh, and then also, um, you know, there, that was, again, that was a big period of time. I just started volunteering my time. It was a big part of it. I was like, just get me exposure. Get oh, me cool. anywhere close to – like, because you leave football and it's things like, no, I didn't know how to use Google Suite. Like, I didn't know how to use Google Gmail and then the calendar thing and then syncing them all up so you can look at other, like, man, I was like, this is great. And now you can do it? How fucking easy is yeah, it? It's, it's all the fact so, you can't do it no, in the and first like, places. Oh, so there's Excel on Google Sheets. I know it's <laughs> anyone who loves Excel would hate that. Yeah, guy. I know, yeah. Yeah, so they would Stupid too. stuff like that. I'm yeah. like, no one taught me this. Yeah. And- like, you know, that's what I learned. A lot of that was just like, I just don't want to be a burden when I get to um, yeah. where I'm going to. And, um, yeah, you just find a way. That's a good attitude to have um, because, yeah, you could, there, there is an element of like making sure you try and strip the ego out of the – from the footy player into what you're going to next because you kind of – as advanced as you are, there are some – baby steps of like shit you're like what the fuck this isn't relevant to kicking a goal in the MCG yeah and look I was you know again I was lucky I went to a good school I did well at school what school did you go to I went to Luther College oh Luther College out in the east yeah um, you know, got ATAR in the mid nineties, like went well. Really? Yeah. Well, you know, I was a good English you student. You school captain as well, but no, no, yeah, no, I imagine I that captain. just to round it out. I was a school captain in primary school. No, <laughs> they say, yeah, I wasn't, <laughs> I was a bit, yeah, I don't know. Uh, there was, there's a very specific um, type of person at Luther who gets school captains. Uh, we're quite a religious school. Oh, uh, okay. Gotcha. Um, but I had at least I had a base level of knowledge. Like I could write an email. Yeah. Kind of. And I, <laughs> you know, and even today, I'm like, some people send emails that just do my heads. Oh, I'm like, mate. you spent an hour writing that one. <laughs> yeah. So, how much, how much did you get done today? You know? Do you have a pet? My, I actually got a pet hate with, um, I'm susceptible to doing it myself, but spelling errors in business. Yeah. Oh, just, it, it deters me from how I engage. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Which I, is very picky, I know, but it just does. Like, no, just, no, that is an issue. But I'll tell you another issue that happened to me the other day. And I, I, I kind of hope this person's not listening, but I kind of hope they are. <laughs> so I got an email on LinkedIn or a message on LinkedIn the other day. It starts, hi, Boyd. <laughs> Bold. You should, you should be arrested. <laughs> like that goes, it gives me like hi, tremors back to my football days when some 11-year-old from out of West turned up and goes, boy, get a photo. I'm like- <laughs> Who? PTSD. Just- I have a first name. And on LinkedIn, it's like, it's so obvious. Yeah. And I said back something like, 
Excuse me. <laughs> anyway, like that stuff that is always be- that's that was that is the simplest version of what I hated about yeah, footy. You get put respect. down to the num the name on the back of your jersey, not yeah. the one on your front, and yeah. you get treated like you are a jersey running around with no arms and legs. Yeah. And if you didn't get a kick, well then we'll treat you as such. And like that was hard for me to deal with because my mum, you know, we spoke we speak about this even now. My mum is from Denmark. They're like very proper, very manners focused. Yeah. They're quite progressive, bit, right, aren't they? Yeah, a bit up themselves. Too, right? <laughs> they, they think they live in utopia. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And look, you know, everywhere, everyone has their own challenges, don't get me wrong, but there, there's a big onus on mannerisms. Yeah. And I had a, a lot of kids, like, you know, shake people's hands, treat them nicely, Correct. speak to them and all that sort of stuff. Do the right thing. Open doors, yada, yada. And I found that that was really important for me through my formative years because people are like, oh, the, he's a good guy mm-hmm. and he's not – he understands what he should do. Yeah. And then I got to footy and no one cared. Because, <laughs> you know, again, if you didn't get enough kicks, marks, or handballs, it doesn't matter how many doors you open. <laughs> unless it made you stronger or something. You know? so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was a really, yeah, I think that was like to the point I made earlier about just where the moral disconnect happened for me. Oh, I'm like, there's more to me than just yeah. kicking goals on the weekend. This doesn't make any sense. Hey, legends, just a quick pause in this episode to share our sponsors for today. Everyone knows that I am on a wellness kick for 2024, which I know a lot of you guys are uh, on the Unlaced Gang because you guys are sending me a lot of messages with what you're doing. But I wanted to go through a product that I've been trying over the past few weeks before I promoted it to you. It's called Organic Reflection. It's driven by a shared passion for health and wellness by two guys in Melbourne, two best friends, which are um, are good friends of mine. And they're doing some incredible things um, through this scientifically proven product, which is made in Australia. Uh, all it is, this is the Carbon C60 product here using natural ingredients in great and in, uh, offers an incredible range of health benefits as well. Um, this is just a little uh, tube here that you put three milliliters in your throat uh, to essentially help enhance your mood. Uh, your cognitive function improves mental performance for learning and memory. It also helps reduce inflammation, which is a leading cause in cancer. So there are heaps of natural benefits. For a lot of the athletes out there that might be tuning in, it helps reduce skeletal and muscle fatigue. It can accelerate your injury recovery, and it can help strengthen cartilage and other areas across your bone health and so forth. For those at home that love drinking tea, this is an organic tea blend. Uh, I've been having sort of one in the morning or one in the night because it does help with your sleep. Um, But it just helps with reducing stress and improving uh, overall quality of life. I've actually had a few friends try this. Their feedback to me has been absolutely awesome. This isn't jargon. This is generally some of the feedback that I've got. I've used some of the language that they've given me as well. Um, But you just feel better about yourself. It's 2024. Why not feel great? Get around this brand. They are Australian owned. They are Australian made. And as I said, they are scientifically proven. I've tried it for a few weeks before I wanted to promote. I'll have the website in the bio and let's get healthy and better for 2024. Also, you guys know that I've been partnering with Dabble, the gambling agency, uh, for the last few years. We've been doing some incredible work together. I have uh, decided that I'm going to be doing some more work with them for another year, and they are going to be supporting our podcast, which is absolutely awesome. If you are in the gambling space, get on Dabble. They have incredible services and variety of offers that help uh, give them a point of difference to other gambling agencies, particularly, uh, you can follow ambassadors who are ex-professionals in their sport. You get to see on their profile page what they bet on, and you can copy their bets to heighten your chances of winning, which is absolutely awesome. Uh, my One of my roles working across Dabble is that I have a weekly show called Jake's Take, a weekly stream, 7 to 8 p.m. every Wednesday, where we talk about all things sport. We get guests on, 
And most of all, we have an absolute laugh. It's a wonderful app. Um, there's great community in there and great people behind it as well. So if you are in this space, give Dabble a go. I've got a link below. Uh, they've been a great supporter of our show. And let's get back into the episode. Forgive me, because I, I would say, and people at home would know that I'm, I'm pretty dangerous when it comes to footy knowledge because I'm a bit of a bit of a footy nuffy, although I'd never played it at sort of a, a high level. But were you always an elite junior? Like, were you always earmarked to be where you were? Because something to, I don't know why, I feel like you were. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think I've much. had this conversation from like a young age, which probably adds up to the expectation, uh, the pressure and the timeline of your career because you were kind of wearing the AFL tag from a, such a young age, if yeah, some regards. So in young juniors, there's sort of two components. One, like, do you make the teams, right? Yeah. That's like the major thing. Two, are you tall? Because if you're tall and you're a key forward, there's a, you know, a massive onus on getting one of those types of guys mm. um, that you automatically sort of get bumped up the the draft order. But So I missed out on under 12 schoolboys in like the last cut or whatever. Um, so I'm sort of Josh Kelly, Jake Billings, Jack mm. Billings, sorry, yeah. um, Luke McDonald, that draft, yeah, that was a great draft year. Yeah, and it, we look, you know, there's Petrarca as well. Bont, no, yeah. Petrarca's a year old. Oh, sorry, Bont was in that Bont's one. Bont's in that one. That's right. Saints took Billings yeah. over Bont. Yeah, That's uh, they could live that yeah. one down. Yeah, don't fuck they? me. But oh, anyway, where does I actually really like Jackie Billings? He's a great man, but where does he play now? He plays. He's in gone for gone to Melbourne. Oh, so he doesn't play for St Kilda. Yeah. Just check. Yeah, <laughs> which is insane. How do we take a number three draft pick and give him off to? A team that's better. We've been than there us. almost ten years. That's the crazy. Yeah, thing. it's probably for him more yeah. so than us. So, yeah. Anyway, we joke. We do love you, Jack. Um, and you know, then in under sixteens, I was captain of Victoria, but didn't play the well at the carnival. So then you miss out on the AOS, and it's like, oh, is he any good? But then my two TAC Cup years were like astronomical in terms of performance. So as a bottom major um, team of the year, played in the national championship with Victoria. Um, we finished on the bottom of the ladder in the TAC Cup because Eastern had no good players. Oh, really? And I won the league goal kicking um, that year. And then the start of 2013, which was my draft year, was yeah, through the roof from a performance point of view. And then I did my ankle and everyone thought I was like turning into Michael Jordan because <laughs> I was on the sidelines and no one else was playing any good. And like, <laughs> this guy averaged almost five goals a game oh, to start wow. the year. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a funny one, but it's all part of it. And, again, like, you know – this pressure that's placed on the number one pick is one thing, but it was also the reason I got given that big contract, right? That's all part of the mm. package that, you know, clubs are buying into. So it was a, yeah, it was a great period of time in my life. Um, but yeah, it's sort of different as you get older in terms of what you realize in terms of the draft and how important it is and what it actually means. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So we, um, we've had a few people on the show that were sort of those pre-draft picks or high draft picks at GWS back in the day, but never really got the background of like, because most of it's most of them that got picked up, and particularly in your case, sounded like they got drafted, or they knew they were already there. It was already locked in before a year before the draft had even happened. Was that the case with you? Like, did not, you know not you as were, long as the first crew? I, I mean, I think you're you'd be talking about like 20, 2011, yeah, 2012 so draft. The guys who are pre, pre-draft guys. Um, so you 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 did you not have like you could have gone anywhere. Is what no, you're saying? No, no I was so going to the Giants. So okay. I got told probably two months before, but no, right. not so, which is months. more standardised to, to no. So even that. So the Giants had pick one and two that year. So it was me and Josh Kelly. Yeah. Um, but no one really knows. Like even as a number one pick, it actually doesn't serve the club for them to tell anyone anything because if you're going to think about trading the number one pick, you want to basically not have a name attached <laughs> yeah, to it. So, okay. so it was still strange. Um. But not to the same extent as the guys who'd gone the year before. The real thing was is that the Giants are such a strange place. Like, mm-hmm. and look, so many of the guys are great players and great blokes, and 
But we were all there at the same age, at the same time, and none of us knew what we were doing. Yeah, it was crazy. There was ridiculous. twenty of us. Josh yeah. Bruce, he said one of the great, one of the most interesting things. He goes, "It wouldn't be allowed today having twenty-two, eighteen-year-old kids run around and play against like you know Collingwood or." Richmond oh, or someone. I don't think and, Collingwood know, were much good back then. Well, yeah, like, do you know um, what I mean? Like Adelaide, just, mate. Yeah, just My so, first game was against Adelaide. Paddy Dangerfield had kick four and had 25 at halftime. Yeah, like just that's – it's it almost not, this, not safe. It wasn't fair. <laughs> I was like, Patrick, stop being mean to us. <laughs> like, these guys were massive. Yeah. You know, and I was four games in and I was big, but there's a big difference between being big and strong in the gym than being big and strong on a footy field. Yeah. Um, so it was just a strange time. And look, I think I'm sure that if they, you know, spoke about it um, publicly and they were honest, they would say it was a weird time for everyone. Because yeah. we had a weird admin, weird coaches, like we, like, as in weird, um, well, the setup of the coaching was strange because we had all these guys who just finished playing their careers, Luke Power, Dean Brogan, um, Chad Corns, um, all those guys. Like they just finished, they had 12 months before. Like yeah. And the transition from a senior player, as good as the, and as amazing a career as those guys had. To being a, to being an assistant coach, it's not like you don't That's happen overnight. Different. It it's doesn't di- happen overnight. Yeah, but you've got to do you got to do hard yards to figure that out. Um, yeah. Accreditation certification, particularly in soccer, it takes like people five to ten years to get a decent coaching job. After yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, 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 which is it shouldn't be that long. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. stupid hoops to jump yeah, through. Yeah, like, well, oh, correct. I hate that stuff. Like so many of the coaches I met along my way, not so much in footy, but in basketball, were all these miserable short blokes who failed. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't end up being good players. They came back to bully all the young kids. So. Was going number one as great as achievement as that was? Where was your headspace at with that? I mean. Take away GWS for just for, for the fact because obviously, and I love that they're doing well now. I mean, people are even tipping them to be a smoky to to go go all the way this year, but they were pretty shit for that period. Let's yeah. just like call it as a spade a spade. But did you? Was there a sense of excitement being attached to number one? Was there a sense of like burden and and sort of holy fuck, this is you know all eyes on me, even though I'm out in GWS. Uh, not a burden. I think I like, I wanted to be number one. To be yeah. clear, and I you know I tell people this all the time. It's, I probably felt hard done by at some stages of my life when I was younger and dumber. Mm. But you know, I just you know I wanted to be number one, and I tried to be number one because when I went into the draft year, I dominated so much as a bottom age kid in the TAC Cup, and I played at national level. There was only like two things I could focus on: dominating every game and playing really well at every game, being the number one guy, which I'd been. 90% of the time the year before, but when I'd played against, uh, played alongside like Joe Danaher and those stars, I hadn't been the number one. Mm. So I just wanted to do that. And then it was like, well, the natural output of me doing that is going to be me getting taken to pick one. Mm. So it was just part of the, you know, me wanting to do well. And like I've said, and everyone will say this cliche, and it is, it is a cliche for a reason, is that no one put more pressure on me than myself. Mm. Um, you know, I was reveling in my own judgment all the time. Um, and I wanted to do perfect, which was half the issue because you're never going to play perfect. There's 18 guys on the other team who are trying to ruin your day. And at times there's a few guys in your own team who are trying to ruin your day, yeah. you know, not because they're trying to deliberately do it because if they play well, it doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to play well. So that was the major issue. That had nothing really to do with the the number one, I don't think. I love that though. I love that you wanted to be that. That that's, says a lot about sort of where you're at um, and your ability at the time, no doubt. Were you, was there hesitancy with the GWS situation? Um, just, just obviously it was going to take a bit of time 
to, to figure out. And as you said, like it's, it's a unique place. There's so many blokes in and around your age bracket, all super talented. Some at that point were probably starting to get traded to go back to sort yeah, of where they quite. wanted to go. Maybe but a year afterwards. A year afterwards. Okay. But um, like, again, I was 18 and so naive and so optimistic, right? You're so optimistic before you get drafted. Like, <laughs> they're, sh- they're shit now, but they're going to be good well, when, I get, flag there, when I get there. Yeah. Uh, and then I got there and I was like, you know what? I think I might want to go somewhere else. And it wasn't the club, right, to be clear. It wasn't just – I just didn't enjoy my time in Sydney that much at that age. And, again, I've said this to a 1,000 people. I'd happily go to Sydney now. I've got a family, a life. I'm be fine. I'd love it. Make mm-hmm. new friends. At 18, I didn't have a life or anything else. I'd just come out of school. I had 10 days between my last school exam and starting my first day in preseason. Oh, wow. As it was all wow. over. And, you know, you have the draft in between there, so you're up on the Gold Coast and back and – it's the biggest whirlwind that you can ever go through. And you feel so normal when you walk out of school. Ten days later, you're the most abnormal person in your school, certainly, and basically any school in the state is the number one pick. So it was a really strange sort of change for me, and I just wanted to be back in Victoria. And I also, I think, probably the thing from a playing point of view that concerned me was, um, you know, we had Jeremy Cameron, we had John Patton, we had all these guys. And as much as people will say, oh, you should just compete with them, well, that's fine in theory. And, yes, that is the case, right? If I'd stayed, that would have been the case. Mm. But also you need to sacrifice or catch up three or four years of experience to get close to those guys. Yeah. So the alternative is get offered an enormous contract, for one, which is not always the case. But, two, it's to become, you know, to go to a club where the investment is in you, not just in all of those other guys as a key forward. So, Were you that, were you that good for them to have to take you at one based off the fact that they had – you know, two guys that were already probably suited to play that centre f- full forward and centre half forward type role. Or, yeah. Uh, or was there a thought process that no, well, you're going to be you're going to be better, and we can work out with three. You'd have to ask them. I think because it's strange when you put it in those terms. But so. it's draft equity too, right? Which yeah, is I'm as a key forward at your club <laughs> under contract. I'm worth so much. It's so. almost like they could afford to take a risk and if like if you yeah. if you're a bust or whatever it's like well but if you're a hit like we've, we've got to take it we've yeah, got the, yeah. we've got yeah, the pick I, privilege look, I don't think there was any hesitation taking me at one um you know I, I think that my performance led to that first and absolutely and you never let one of those guys go um yeah. no matter what it's yeah. just you can't because the likelihood if they turn out any good anywhere else, well, that's you'll what never I, that, work in footy again. That's what I, that's what <laughs> yeah. I'm getting to, right? Yeah. You can't can't afford to take a if risk. If I went to the Saints or something and I ended up kicking eighty in my third year, my, everyone would be <laughs> so. Um, that would have been nice and killed her. Yeah, I don't think I would have kicked eighty in my third year. <laughs> no, I, I don't know experience. if we were any good at that point either. No, so no. I, I think it was all you know. It's just part of the the decision making that they make, and um, yeah, as I said. At the end of the day, would it have worked with three? Probably not. Jeremy's a very unique player. I think you know, you'll probably see that over the course of his lifetime that he's now started to play better with other key forwards around him. Mm. Like, But him and Tomahawk are such a great combination, oh, but they're so different. Yeah. And Jeremy spends half of his time at halfback, and then he still kicks 55 goals. <laughs> like, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, Tomahawk's never done that. Yeah, you know, like yeah. it's just he's so unique. He's like watching just one of the most unique players that just seems to be playing a different sport after time. Can we? Can you take us inside? Well, actually, just to go through. Actually, did, were you enjoying like, um, was was sort of being at GWS? Was that the first time you had a look into the industry of what the AFL was? Um, I like, done my AIS placement with Collingwood. Um, so oh, did you? as part of the AIS, you get sort of placed at different clubs, um, and I was at the Pies, uh, and I've seen sort of what it was like and. 
the AAS do quite a good job of trying to replicate the AFL schedule because um, they're trying to get you ready for that. And the AIS is, was essentially back then judged on how many good players came out of there. They got drafted, right? Mm. So there was 30, 35 in the squad and they wanted to basically get all of them drafted. So a good year they'd have 30 mm. and a bad year they'd have 20. Yeah. Um, so I'd seen what it was like, but it's very different in preseason than it is in season. And one of the big things, so I got offered a contract extension by the Giants at the start of 2014, which is my first season, before the season had started. For two years. And they do those all the good, like high draft picks. They go, we've oh, got you for two years. Let's get you for that, four. Was that a loophole? Was that like something? No, they, they can, can offer you an extension. They can do that, right? Yeah, they can oh, offer right. an extension. Most of the players, half the players sign a plus one on um, draft line, <laughs> which is like, hey, we drafted you for two years. Do you want to sign for an extra? Here's a, here's 250 grand for your third year, which is like the players like, oh, my God. <laughs> but what they don't realize is that by the time they if they planning in their first two seasons, and yeah, it, it ends up triple being, that. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, yeah. So I turned that down because I was like, how am I going to sign? <laughs> a deal that says I'm going to play here for two more years when I haven't even seen what it's like to play. Yeah, and the yeah. season is so different. So, yeah. um, I was had insight. Um, it's a big difference having experience. Can you take us just into the discussion and the four walls of the Bulldogs trade? Because obviously that made headlines with a deal, but the why, the how, and the destination. Um, well, when the trade happened, it was more like for open windows because I was in Indonesia in a hut um, because I was on a surf trip in the middle of nowhere. Mm. Um, But the first sort of – I think I've explained this before publicly, but how it came about, right, was on a Thursday afternoon, my dad called me and we spoke every week on a Thursday. We probably spoke five times a week, but on Thursdays in particular because we'd talk about, oh, did you get picked in the ones or the twos this week? What was the feedback? Mm. All that sort of stuff. And um, he calls me and we start that conversation in the middle of it. He goes, oh, you've had a contract offer. And I'm like, Jeff, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, don't just throw that out there. Yeah. Uh, and I thought he was talking about the Giants because, as I said before, they um, they basically offered me a two-year extension. And then he said, um, oh, it's not from the Giants. And I was like, so tell me more about it. And he's like, I'm not telling you now. I'm like, you've got a big game on the weekend. I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, what do you mean? And um, anyway, so he wouldn't tell me anything more about it, but he said he was coming up on the weekend. So we caught up on the Sunday and I'd played terrible the day before. I'd been thinking about this contract offer and how good it could be and who it was from and trying to guess. And then I went out and played like shit. Um, I'm sure that wasn't the only reason I played bad. <laughs> uh, anyway, and then we sat down and he basically said to me that the Bulldogs offer you seven over seven. And I was like, 700 grand a year for seven years. That's, that's like five million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> the way I say it now is like um, – it's and it is kind of a, a joke, but I'm like, that is like fifty land cruises. <laughs> 50 like how, land. Bi- how big the tires you could put on those things, you know? <laughs> That's dollar. where your head's at. And it is now. Yeah. But it is yeah. now. I probably I don't even know what I was thinking back yeah, then, but yeah. it's a funny thing to say. Um and then uh he goes, No, seven million over seven years. So essentially what happened was there was a few things that were in play at the time. And look, people don't tend to acknowledge it because it doesn't really matter, but it's, I suppose it's context. And the, the Bulldogs had uh, not paid out their full salary for a little bit. Like as in there's a salary cap, but there's also a salary floor. Mm. So you can't play, I think it's less than an average of 95%, which is the equalization measure, right? Because otherwise <laughs> clubs like ours and Kilda and Bulldogs yeah, yeah. typically wouldn't have had, like they would have saved the money in all right. honesty because they were trying to you know, keep their balance sheets um, looking better than they probably did. So there was an element that I think the Bulldogs at the time needed to spend some money. Right. There was also the element that they needed a key for, and they'd been trying to find one for a, ever, yeah. like decades. Yeah. And they'd had Barry, but he'd only been there for a few years, and it obviously his best footy was probably behind him, even though he still played some good footy for the Dogs. 
And there was all this other stuff going on. So we met with the um, the club in a buy round in the middle of the year. And it was so funny because you go to this, there's this uh, cafe called Hobbo or Hobber in yeah, Richmond. I know Hobber, yeah. On, uh, on Church Street or yeah. uh, Bridge Road or something like that. Anyway, we met there and we we're all sitting there, my dad, my manager and myself. And we're like pretending to have a conversation. Yeah. And then we get in the car and my manager's in one car and we're in the other. And we do this like motorcade into Peter Gord where he used to live into his underground car park so no one could see us. Oh, my God. And we needed to have a meeting face-to-face to work out like sort of what are we going to say. And Anyway, we went through this whole meeting. I had the offer on the table already and then they were showing me all of these like here's the club now, here's the list in two years, we're going to be amazing. And I'm looking at some of these players. I'm like, he's five foot five. He's not going to be an A-plus player. <laughs> he was one of my mates. We used to play Mitch Honeychurch. And I'm like, A-plus for Mitch Honeychurch? I love you, Mitch. I've known him since I was 10 years old. He still works, I think, for my old man. I didn't think he was going to be an A-plus player. Yeah. Um, so there was that funny component. And then we sort of went through this whole thing and eventually got to the stage where it was like, well, the trade, it has to be a trade. We can't, I can't leave. I'm under contract. So- Ryan Griffin or Bont are the only two players you can trade for me. And they're like, no chance. So we basically left it at that stage. So that would have been middle of 2014. Not going to happen. And then midway through the trade period, Ryan Griffin asked for a trade to the Giants. And we're like, I'm literally in Indonesia, in the middle of nowhere, on an island chain off the coast of Sumatra, surfing with um, Nick Flosson from Richmond and, and a few of my mates. And it comes through that he's requested a trade and we just go, we got to try. Yeah. And then just five days of me just getting abused in the media by everyone going, this kid's getting what? Oh and God. I remember um, like I was sitting there at the surf camp and the guys who I was with knew footy and Nick was obviously a player at Richmond um, and I'd live with him. Um, but they walked back in. I don't know why. I, I'd known this was going on, so I hadn't surfed with them that morning. And they come back and they go, any trade news in the AFL? I'm like, Nah, <laughs> quiet morning. <laughs> and like they open up the app and they're like, they see the trade and then they all just look at me and I'm like, sorry, boys, couldn't tell you. <laughs> and then never heard a bloke give me more shit than Nick Floss. And he goes, seven, what? <laughs> just abusing me. And Humbled I was like, he didn't even pretend to be happy. <laughs> he was like, I, I don't that. have that. That's a good mate. And then my best mate, um, along with Nick, one of my other groomsmen, uh, and this is obviously a long time before I got married, but he was a dogs fan. So he was over the Pumped. moon. It was awesome. Pumped. He'd been a lifelong dogs fan. His grandma was a lot. Like, everyone was a dogs fan. So, yeah, um, yeah it was a great moment. Um I, then I sort of like, because of the attention I was getting, I was like, they're going to be at the airport when I get home. And mm-hmm. I probably just played it up in my mind. And that wasn't the case. Anyway, then I got home, then I had my appendix out like the next day. So, Fuck. and um, the real uh, coming to Jesus moment was um, I had this appendix out, right? Middle of the night on a Tuesday, I think. Next morning, I woke up in the age, I think it was. Australia's most expensive appendix has been removed <laughs> in the paper. Full article about it. I was like, all that's, right, this that, is what it's turned into now. No, this is going to be different. Than what yeah. I was the, was the um, I guess there's an element or, or a feeling or sensation around the 26 season, 2016 season with the Bulldogs that you guys kind of snatched the, the cup in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, where you guys finished in the eight and the run home in the finals and just how amazing it was. It was almost written in the stars. But did you kind of have that feeling? Because I know they were writing on a script like, hey, this is what we're going to try and achieve. This is where players will be. Did you see that you guys could win a flag that quickly? No, God, no. And look, a lot of that didn't change. I didn't didn't have a coach when I got there. Wow. We didn't have a coach. They'd sacked Brendan McCartney like two weeks before I got traded. So, um, And then we didn't have a captain because Ryan Griffin got traded for me. 
And then we didn't have a CEO about two months later. So it was really Peter Gordon and Bob Murphy who took the place over at that stage. Um, and then when I got to the club, as I said, Bevo didn't join till a month after me. Wow. So then Luke walks in and he changed the place immediately. He was so different to any of the coaches that I'd had. He was optimistic. He was like um, empowering of his players and so on and so forth. And so we went on that two-year run. And then like I think it's such a – it's easier and – you know, probably simpler to describe how we were. It's just like this outside chance. And yes, we finished seventh, first time ever that happened in AFL history. I get all that. Super happy to take the record of being one of those players. Mm. But if you look at our two-year season, we won 30 games or something like that, high high 20s or 30 games over two years. Um, we really missed out on the top four in 2015 by a game, really needed to win the last round, if I recall correctly or thereabouts. And then got knocked out first round. And then the year after was pretty much the same. We had, with five or six weeks to go, were we in the prime seat? But then we had Jack McRae, Tom Liberatore, Easton Wood, Dale Morris, Mitch Wallace, Jack Redpath. All these guys um, do serious, serious injuries in the last sort of seven or eight weeks of the year. Yeah. And then, you know, if you actually look back, I mean, beside the Giants were the hot team. So beating them was the big hurdle. We'd beaten Sydney a couple of years in a row, even up there. Um, West Coast were a pretty hot team. Beating them in Perth was massive. Yeah, that was huge. And then the Hawks were kind of on their last legs. So, you know, as much as it was incredible and, like, to be honest, winning four of those is impossible. If you look at them in isolation, yeah. each game <clears throat> we had a chance. It was just just because you have a chance winning four in a row is almost impossible. So, yeah, um, yeah it was a magical time, magical time. Well, I'm going to give you a few more because I know you're going to duck off, but um, – I can't not have you on the podcast and not talk about the goal you kicked that day. Mm-hmm. Is that Very something important. you still remember vividly? Like you still yeah. kind of can see? Because the, obviously what's f- as famous as the kick is BT's uh, commentary after it where I think he's, he's what does he say? He says fuck or something. Like yeah. he's, which Drops is, the sauce. Drops the sauce, yeah. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing moment. And look, I, you know, it's one of those things. It's, um, it's as unique as anything. The goal, the timing. The way it happened, the commentary, the moment in the game, all that sort of stuff. And it's sort of like the crowning jewel of my career in many ways. Um, and, you know, people always say, oh, you know, you, are you going to be relevant with these young people? They won't remember you. I'm like, they'll remember me. Because yeah. every year, <laughs> 35, 11-year-olds find the BT commentary for the first time and they go, oh, you made someone swear on radio. Well, this is awesome. That's why I think I feel like you're younger than you are, but it's because your name's brought around that much. That, just, I mean, you're older than you are, but yeah. It's like it's, that I'm Facebook viral like yeah. twice a year. I don't know if I'm on TikTok, which I'm not, but I'm, I'm sure the clip's out there somewhere. So was the reason why you left the game, was that just the – the challenge of or the the AFL, the identity of you and your core cha- being challenged by the professional sporting environment um, along with the injuries or was there sort of more more going on that was, I yeah. need to just get away from this? No, I was injured. I was badly injured. Because I think um, that's kind of gone under the radar a bit. It's like actually how shot your body was. It went like under the radar because when Luke had his last press conference about me, he basically said like – it was a mental health thing, yeah, which okay. again, like I'm not angry at him and I have no issues with, you know, I'm sure one of the decisions that I made was I don't want to go back there, but it wasn't where I was when I left. Mm. Um, I was injured. I'd try to come back. My back was not cooperating. And as evident by the fact that six months ago, within the last five or six months, I'd had surgery on it. It was an issue. It was an issue that I couldn't deal with at that time. And then also I'd just gotten probably a level of excitement about what to do next. Um, you know, I was genuinely optimistic about what was in my future and I started to see the possibilities of what I could do and then I was like, am I willing to put that on hold? Because I would have to. That's what footy is. Footy is all-consuming and professional sports the same. So um, it's much more of a positive 
decision than you know was definitely reported at the time. Yeah, um, that, that's what that based off just our discussion today. That's the as much as you're working in that space and you've acknowledged it, it, it didn't seem like that was the the, the main sort of or the critical reason at the oh, time. Mate, and look, the like again, this is this is the way the media works. But mm. if there's one article, there's fifty, and they're all the same. And it's taken me six six years or five years or whatever to rewrite that story because it's like I don't want people to think I quit because I was depressed. And in many ways, that's anti um, advantageous to me because people want me to be the guy who left because I was depressed, but yeah. I wasn't. Yeah. Um. You know, I was injured and I didn't want to do it again. I didn't want to go around the rodeo of trying to get back, and I didn't have the passion to play. So, what do you do then? You either stay, take the money, upset everyone, break down every relationship. Or you make the right decision for me at the time and I get to go in and make a retirement speech, which was awesome because then I get to go out to everyone in the room. You're the reason I lasted as long as I did, yeah. not the reason I'm leaving. And to the players, if you want to renegotiate your salary now, it'd be a good time. <laughs> That's a great one, Mina. What a punchline. We're going to have to round out on that. The uh, the famous question we ask on this podcast is we test three key traits to success in business or sport, resilience, driver, ambition. Which one for you, we'll go post-career, has been sort of your cornerstone to get in the position you are now at 28? Um, I think probably ambition. Um, yeah, I – I don't like to put a handbrake on myself, I think. Uh, and, you know, I say, and I've said this in front of some very successful p- people, which got a chuckle out of them thinking that I was taking the piss, but I basically say fake it till you make it. And I mean that in the sense as though should you prepare well? Yes. Should you do everything in your power to improve? Should you meet and do everything diligently? Yes, of course, all of that. But the problem that people do is they do that and they don't take a punt on themselves uh, is my experience. So yeah. my fake it till you make it is put yourself in uncomfortable positions over and over again. Prepare as well as you can and then just see how you go. Um, that's worked well for me so far and hopefully it will keep uh, working well for me into the future. Beautifully said, mate. You're well spoken. Um, this has been eight months in the making, so we finally got it done. But uh, big thank you, Tommy Boy, for coming on the show. Absolutely loved it. No worries. Part two will be in like three weeks. Yeah, no, just <laughs> yeah we're going to get a lot of feedback <laughs> for part two. Maybe we'll do it. We'll see if you guys want to do it. We'll find time, no doubt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.